we we spent our first Christmas in our in our new home. Uh, we of course have moved from the parsonage just a little ways down the road and. Uh, kind of got the house, I guess, ready enough, if you will, to move in. Uh, folks have always told me, oh, well, you'll never be done. And maybe you've got, you know, 20-year-old projects that you're still working on, you know, that you, you thought, well, I'll get to that next week when you first moved in, and you never have. And, but we got the house pretty much the way that we wanted it. And one of the things we had to do, we, we purchased our our kitchen uh, cabinets and, and various things from the Ikea store down in Memphis. And if you've ever been to Ikea, they have, they have wonderful stuff. It's really slick and nice and whatever, but you've got to put it together yourself. That's part of the reason that they keep the cost down. And so we get all we go down there to Memphis, uh, and we got all these cabinets, and, and, all, and they're all in big boxes. And, and, I, and I remember the, the day that we were putting them together, we had some friends from church come over. A couple of you were there, and you may remember that. And then later on, some others jumped in and helped and whatever. But we started putting these things together the instructions that they give you from ikea have no words it's all pictures and ikea i guess they put it in words there's they're a swedish company so it'd be foreign language anyway so so anyway they give you these pictures of what is supposed to happen and there's about three steps for everything that's all it takes to put everything together it's amazing and they've got this little cartoon guy and he's always smiling at you and then he frowns if you if he points to what you should not have done, you know. And so we put these cabinets together, and I don't know if I, you know. I'm just trying to follow the picture of the smiling little bubble guy who's excited about putting cabinets together. It was not exciting at all to put these cabinets together, and I messed up several times. And I'd take them back apart and go back and just look at the picture and these things. And and so I don't know if you've done anything like that recently. Maybe at Christmas you put together some toys or some things like that, and you you know the instructions they give you everything but English, right? They give you everything, and then they show you pictures, and it's frustrating sometimes to have to put things together when you aren't clear on what the instructions are. And as you enter 2018, you may have felt like 2017 was putting your life together without being real clear on what the instructions are. And, and I, oh man, I, I kind of maybe see a picture of this. Well, I know this person, maybe my life should look like them. Or I, I've heard a few sermons, or I, I, I don't really know, but I'm just trying to put my life together according to what I think the picture is supposed to be. And it can be very confusing, can it? It can be very frustrating. And you, like me, can want to take those cabinets and smash them all. That's what I wanted to do with them a few times. And maybe in your life you get so frustrated of not really being clear on what is it am I supposed to be doing? How is it am I supposed to be living that you just get really frustrated and you throw your hands up and you give up? Maybe you started in 2017 to read portions of the Bible. And you, 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 you pick it up and maybe you followed some sort of plan or you just said, well, I'm just going to start reading here. Or I asked the pastor and he said, start reading in this place and maybe that'll help you. And, and you started reading, you didn't understand any of it. The pictures didn't make any sense. It's almost like a foreign language. Or you had no particular plan. You just sort of start at step eight, maybe. And, and, you know, and I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to live because I don't understand the instructions. I want you to know that if that's you, if you felt that way in any way, you may have been a Christian a long, long time. You may be new as a Christian. You may have read the Bible over and over and over again. You may have only picked it up a few times. But if you ever felt that way, you're not alone. I can say this, I I became a Christian when I was eight years old, so it's been a while now, over 30 years. And there are times, even as 
as a long-term Christian, if you will, even as a seminary-educated pastor, that I pick up the Bible and it's like looking at instructions that are written in a foreign language or with only pictures with a smiling guy who seems to have it all together, right? Sometimes that's just the way that it is. We're starting a sermon series today that will last all of 2018 that hopefully will provide us a clear understanding or clearer understanding, we'll say, of the instructions for life. Today, just in this sermon, what I hope that this will be for, for those who are not currently reading the Bible or those who maybe your reading has gotten a little stale, I hope to show you the great benefit of reading the Bible. And and I truly do mean of reading the Bible. I don't mean just of passively taking it in occasionally. Or or I really do mean reading the Bible. There's great benefit to reading it. This series really is is meant to to give us the, the grand story, God's grand story from Genesis to Revelation. I don't know if you if you grew up going to Sunday school at all. Many of you did. Some of you probably didn't. But in Sunday school, a lot of times, at least when I was growing up, we would get these Bible stories each week. And back when I was growing up, we didn't have, you know, technology and so on. We have, we had the, the, the teacher who somehow she was 80 years old for 150 years. That's just the way she was. I don't know how she pulled it off. She was amazing. But Miss Julia Fleener, uh, who was, was my, one of my Sunday school teachers, had the little board and the felt things. You know, and they would put it up and they'd tell the story and so on in a little felt. And that was great. It was, you know, it was like PowerPoint before PowerPoint. That's what it was. And so, but, but I never really understood that all those stories are not disconnected stories with a moral lesson. That's a lot of times how we treat those things. We look at a Bible story and we say, well, okay, here's what this story says. And we don't really look at it as far as what, how does this fit in the grand story of what God was doing? God is still doing. And and those stories don't just have a moral lesson. Certainly there are moral lessons to apply from those. But they have theological and spiritual things and truths about them that are far beyond something we can summarize in, in one hour of felt stuff on the board. You understand that? I don't mean to, to make light of what I learned in Sunday school. I'm so grateful for what I learned. But sometimes we stop short of giving the full picture of here's what this is really supposed to look like. It's a bunch of disjointed steps. And that's not really what the Bible's supposed to be. So this series is meant to give us from Genesis all the way to Revelation a bunch of Bible stories, yes, but so that we can see how God's one story all fits together. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to start next week when we talk about creation. And then we'll go all the way to the end of the Bible. We're going to look at about 50 different Bible stories. I'm not going to cover them all. But we're going to look at things like what does the story of David and Goliath have to do with Jesus? You realize that David and Goliath has a lot to do with the story of Jesus. It's not about how do I slay my giants, but it's about far more than that. So that's what we're going to look at. So I I hope that as we journey along in this series, that we'll read the Bible a little differently. That we'll read the Bible completely. I really mean that. From cover to cover, I hope that you'll join us and read it this year cover to cover. Uh, That we'll read the Bible confidently. There may be parts still that you don't fully understand. That's okay. That's okay. Do you realize the Bible was not written to 21st century Americans? It wasn't. It was written to ancient Israelites and then first century Jews. That's what it was. It was just... uh, So there is some stuff that kind of is difficult to understand because it's not in our culture. 
but we can understand it. This morning, as I said, our focus really is just on the the general and great benefit of, of reading the Bible. Now, I want to point out to you a couple things. If you do not have one of our Bible reading plans, this is nothing original. I didn't come up with this. I just simply uh, transcribed it from another Bible reading plan. We're going to look at the Bible chronologically this year. We have these available. As you leave, if you want one, just to stick in your Bible, it's it's kind of on a cardstock, glossy kind of paper that should remain in pretty good shape throughout the year. And it's made to slide into your Bible, and you can kind of read along each day. Um, we're, we've got those in the back. And so if you, if you want one of those just on the table as you walk through those double doors right before you exit the building, those are there. If you want one, please grab one. Also, I, I posted this morning on our church Facebook page a link to the online version of this particular uh, Bible plan. If you have the Bible app, uh, you probably search Bible app or search version, Y-O-U version, and, and you can pull that up. This plan is on there as well, and that link will take you there. And if you like kind of the digital version of checking things off, and I can see my progress, that will help you with that. This, of course, you can just cross it out or make a check mark or however you want to handle that. But, but uh, that's, that's the idea. I, I'll tell you this. It's going to be a challenge. You know, I, 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 some pastors probably say, ah, it's no big deal. You can get through the Bible. It's a piece of cake. It's going to be a challenge. It's not going to be easy. Leviticus is hard. Okay? Um, it really is. Some of the prophets are hard. What world are they talking about? Well, I, I don't know. What are they t- but isn't it true that sometimes the most challenging, most difficult, uh, initially hard things we do are the most rewarding? I really believe that if we'll push through this year, that individually and collectively as a church, we're going to see great gains in our walk with the Lord. One of my goals, just so you know, for this coming year, and really overall, and I, and I guess I, sh- I probably should have had this goal all along, but, but the Lord's just kind of convicted me of it, is to lead with faith at Elm Grove. To lead with faith. Um, I, I lead, I think, um, but I don't always lead with faith. If you understand the distinction and the difference. I don't mean be crazy. Uh, I just mean lead with faith. And so I am trusting that as I read the Bible this year, as we do that, that the Lord will give us the steps that he wants us to take that would be walking in faith individually and together uh, with the Lord. So I, I want you to grab one of these, follow along with us. I'll put some stuff on our Facebook page on a daily basis that will be hopefully some encouragement. Maybe if, if we need it occasionally some background information. But I hope that you'll jump in with that. And then also, uh, just another matter of housekeeping, on Wednesday nights, uh, for the adults that will be meeting in here, we'll be doing a Bible survey course, which will be basically we'll go through every book of the Bible, most of the time a couple per Wednesday night, just so you know, because obviously there's 66 books. We don't have 66 Wednesday nights uh, in 2018. We have far fewer than that, obviously. Uh, plus, we take the summer off, and so we, we miss a little bit of time there. But we're going to go through an overview of each Bible book. And, and just maybe if you need some help, uh, what is this about? Who wrote it? Why did they write it? And so on and so forth. So anyway, that's what's coming up. So there you have it, okay? So uh, I want you to turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy way over in the, in the, toward the end of the New Testament, toward the end of the Bible. So if you get to Revelation, turn back to the left just a little bit, and you'll get to the book of 2 Timothy after just a little while. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is going to give us the benefit, the great benefit of reading the Bible. What is it that we, that we get when we read the Bible? Now, I want you to look with me first in 2 Timothy chapter 3, at the very beginning, verse 1. 
Paul, the apostle, writing to his understudy, basically. Paul, probably about 60 years old at this time, writing to uh, Timothy, who was about 40. So you've kind of got the mentor and the protege, and then both being pastors. Paul, more the missionary. Timothy, more the local pastor. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving him some guidance on how to operate in ministry and so on. So really good stuff. And here's what he writes to his understudy in verse 1 of chapter 3. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of religion but denying its power. And he says, avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passion, passions, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these resist the truth, men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith. But they do not make further progress, for their lack of understanding will be clear to all, as theirs was also. Paul tells him, times are going to get bad, Timothy. Timothy would have understood that in his time. We understand it in our time. Things aren't good. And when I say things aren't good, I don't mean that people aren't trying to be nice to each other. No, that's not good. I mean things are not good according to God. People in the last days, and we live even now in the last days. After the resurrection, we now live in the last days. However long they last, this is the last days before the return of Jesus Christ. That era from resurrection to return is the era of the last days. Paul is telling Timothy, during this time, people are going to drift farther and farther and farther away from the Lord. And you see the list of how they're going to be. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's just the way things are today. People who live far from God represent all of those characteristics. There was a godless society back then and a godless society today. And so as a pastor, as a church member, how is Timothy to respond to that? What's he supposed to do as a Christian? Oh, it's awful today. You ever feel like, man, I don't even know, know what I'm supposed to do. How am I supposed to navigate all of this? I don't understand how I'm supposed to live. The instructions don't seem to be clear. I don't know what to do with the picture on the box. I don't know what to do with the chaos that's around me in my life. I don't know what to do with all the godlessness and all the sin in our world. I don't know what to do. Maybe Timothy understood. Maybe Paul knew that Timothy would have to lead these people. And maybe as a leader here in our church, you'd say, you know, I don't know what to do, but I sure want to do something. But I just feel like giving up. Or it makes me angry. Or I just want to argue with people. I just want to set them straight. What was Timothy to do? The answer, Paul says as he goes along here, He tells Timothy in verse 10, But you, you followed my teaching, my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy, it's going to get bad. What do you do? And he says in verse 14, But as for you... But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Is the answer to get on social media and rant and rave and 
try to convince everybody of their sin and how wrong they are? Is the answer to get angry and smash all the cabinets? Is that the answer? Probably not. He says, but as for you, there's going to be a clear distinction, Timothy, between who all these people are in verses 1 through 5 and who you are to be. But as for you, the world is going one one way, Timothy. You are to go another way. Continue, he says, in what you have learned and firmly believed. The word continue there means to hold tight. Keep going. Press on. Hang on to it. Paul doesn't tell him just to get his facts straight. He tells him to hang on. Be committed. Commit yourself to it. And then he says, knowing those from whom you have learned it, look at verse 14. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing knowing those from whom you have learned, and that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures. This is why I say I'm not ungrateful for my Sunday school experience. My parents took me to church every Sunday. I don't remember a time when I wasn't going to church. I know that's not the experience all of you have had. And I know young people, if you're here this morning, you may say, it is freezing outside. What on earth are we doing? Seriously? It's like 40 below or something, isn't it? Right? That's what it feels like. It's crazy. Why are we here? What are we doing? Mom, I mean, nobody's going to be there, you know? I mean, the people that go to church just because that's what they do, they're programmed on Sunday morning, they don't know why they only just, you know, that's who's going to be there, Mom. You know, Dad, seriously, I know you don't even want to go either. I mean, you're bald. It's got to be cold, you know? I mean, <laughs> seriously, you know? And yet here you are, right? I know it sounds like an old dude talking, and maybe I am now, and that's fine. But I know that I am extremely grateful for the people that got me up and got me going and said, we're going to church. I realize also there's there's nothing inherently holy about simply going to a place where other people get together in a building called a church. I, I know there's nothing inherently holy about that, but there is something holy about it when God's people come together and God meets among us, he says. And you may resent it now, but let me encourage you young people, take that simple step of obedience to your folks And ultimately to the Lord. And you may not even know why you're showing up. You may not even know why you're here. But trust me in this. God is doing something in your life that you can't even see. And if you want to understand the instructions, you want life to make sense, you want your life to matter, you want to understand who you are, this isn't the only place where you can figure that out. Because the Bible certainly can reveal it to you. But there is something about gathering with the church that helps us with those things. And as much as I can encourage you, as much as we can create a place here that is welcoming to you, I encourage you to be here. Every chance you get. Does that mean we're going to get on you if you don't? No, that's not the point. But let me encourage you to continue in what you have learned from a very early age. Learn it and continue. Paul continues and he says... In verse 16, verse 15 rather, and from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to instruct you. And here's where we get into the benefits. I'm just going to kind of list these out. Paul tells Timothy, times are going to get bad. You're going to need to know what to do. You're going to need to know how to live. And beyond that, Timothy, even if times weren't bad, here's what the scripture is going to address. 
The Bible is God's word, Paul tells him. He tells him in verse 16, it's all inspired by God. The Bible is God's word, and as a result, you'll see there on your outline, because it is God's word, it addresses all of your deepest needs. Timothy may have thought, the early church may have thought, well, our deepest needs is just to figure out how to survive in this difficult time. Maybe that's what you're trying to figure out. But beyond that, that's one of our needs. But beyond that, it addresses our deepest needs. Let's look at these quickly this morning. Paul says in verse 15, they are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The first benefit of the Bible it is it reveals to us what salvation is. You realize that from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, it's the story of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Jesus doesn't just start in the New Testament when he just randomly shows up? There's nothing random to it. From the very beginning, even when we see Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden, we get a preview. God gives a little prophecy about what's going to happen. That one day, someday, this descendant will rise up and crush the one. Who tempted them to sin. Jesus from beginning to end. And of course we see at the very end. The book of Revelation. The main point of that is Jesus wins. <laughs> from beginning to end. It's the grand story of God's salvation. The Bible shows us what salvation is. That we have fallen short of God's standard. Of absolute perfection and holiness. We have willfully sinned. And not only that. We are born sinners. So it's not just what we do. But who we are that needs to be changed. And in the Old Testament, we get this little preview of this sacrificial system. The animals that were sacrificed to, to kind of, I guess, commute the sin for a while, the sentence. But ultimately, we see the, the main and the major sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And all the things in the Old Testament are reiterated. Romans chapter 3 tells us we've all sinned. Romans chapter 6 tells us that sin brings death, period, end of story. Romans chapter 5 tells us that God took our punishment for that sin. Romans 10 tells us that by faith we receive forgiveness and salvation. Our deepest need is not to figure out how to navigate this society or how to win arguments on Facebook. Our deepest need is to be cleansed by Jesus Christ, to have who we are changed so that what we do is then changed. I really firmly believe this, that the more that you experience what salvation is all about, the less you'll be worried about winning an argument on Facebook. And the more you'll simply be concerned with bringing glory and honor to the name of Jesus through how you live. And maybe that will involve communication on Facebook or wherever. But I think it will involve a lot of praise and worship. The Bible also addresses our need for truth. Continue in verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. That means it's, it comes from Him. It is God-breathed. That means he, 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 he has it exactly the way He wants it. And is profitable first for teaching. This is how we know right from wrong. That's what that, that word is about. You realize in our world today, there's so much of what is wrong that's being called right and what is right that's being called wrong. We don't know what to believe, right? You understand? We, we don't really know. I mean, if you listen to entertainers or scientists or politicians or even your friends or somebody else, you're going to get a variety of messages on, well, here's what, here's what is right. What, here's what I believe is right. Well, who in the world are you? That's what I want to say to everybody. Who are you? Well, you know, I've got some degrees. Well, so do I. 
Got some degrees, too. I went to school. I told my dad the other day, including all my, my kindergarten all the way through high school and college and seminary and doctoral. I went to school for 22 years. I ought to be a little smarter than I am now, but I went to school for 22 years. I got some degrees, too. Who are you? If they were to ask me the same thing, I, I, you know, well, this is what I believe is right. I don't care. Tell me actually what is right. Guess what the Scripture teaches us? It is unchanging. Never changes. Here's what is right, and here is what is wrong. You don't have to like it, but as my dad used to say, you can like it or lump it. It's the way it is. The Scripture never changes. It always teaches us what is right and what is wrong. We don't have to guess. Listen, if you are confused about the instructions of life, what am I supposed to do? What is the right way to handle this? Scripture has the answer. It does. It has the answer for every situation you face in life. Well, Scripture didn't address that. No, but it will indirectly address every single thing that we deal with in life. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to just try to figure out the picture. Well, good grief, I don't know. Read and learn right and wrong. It also addresses our need for conviction. Verse 16 goes on. Not only does it help us know what's right and wrong, but it says for rebuking. Young people, you may not know it as that word, but you are rebuked on a daily basis. Stop. Seriously, stop. Dude. Really? That's a rebuke, by the way. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Don't do that. What what are you doing? Why? Not that I say anything, you know, those things to my kids. I mean, I don't, you know, I've never, never really rehearsed this before. You know, we, it's a rebuke, right? It's a boom, stop right there. Don't do that anymore. Turn around, go a different direction, stop. Sometimes the Bible rebukes us. You ever been reading a passage of scripture? And you've got one attitude about something, you've got one mindset about something, you've got one way of handling something, and all of a sudden the Bible says, love your enemies. (laughs) What? It's a rebuke. Stop what you're doing. Go a different direction. The Bible exposes our sin. It's supposed to do that. Because it teaches right from wrong. It exposes us when we've gone astray. Now that's not easy and we don't often like it, but praise God for it. How would I know I'm going a different direction? How would I know I'm not putting the cabinets together the right way if not for the picture of the guy smiling? How would I know? The Bible tells me, no, that's not the right direction. I'm going the wrong way. And it brings conviction, this rebuking, for the purpose of making sure that I go the right way. Do you realize that God is not up there just laughing at you like, oh, you know, I I don't like these people, so I'm going to set up all these rules I can never follow, and then I'm going to just sit back and watch them trip over them all. Do you realize what God did? God set up a bunch of rules that we couldn't follow so that we would trip over them and realize our need for Him and His grace and His forgiveness so that we wouldn't have to try to follow all the rules. We just love Him because He's loved us and we receive His grace and His new life and His forgiveness. The rules are there to point us to our desperate need for God. And when conviction comes, it points us to the fact, I can't live this Christian life on my own. I've got to have someone else to live it for me. What did Paul say in Galatians? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
Oh, I don't like the rules of God. Fine, give your life to Jesus and He'll take care of the rules of God for you. Conviction. Also, the great benefit of the Bible is addresses our need for wholeness. Wholeness. Look at verse 16. It continues. Rebuking and also for correcting. You realize the Bible isn't just there to put you down? Oh man, I feel terrible now that I figured out I wasn't supposed to be doing that. Golly. What do I do now? Well, the scripture will tell you. The word correcting means putting back upright. Putting you back together. When you smash the cabinets, God's got gorilla glue. It's amazing. He just puts it right back together. That's what the scripture does. Not only does it expose our sin, but it sets us back up. It restores us back to our original condition. Some of us flounder for years and years and years not knowing who we are. And we find our significance and our, and our worth in so many different things. And fellas, I'll just speak about us. We find it in things that God never intended for us to find our significance in. Which is why we're workaholics and jerks most of the time. On the whole, that's what men are known for. We're finding our significance in the wrong places. We're being corrected, trying to be put back together by the wrong things. Does that mean work isn't important? No, it's not my point. Work's important to God. Work was there before sin, by the way. So it's not a sinful thing to have to work. You know, parents, if you need something on your kids, but just take them right back to Genesis. Adam and Eve were told to work the garden. That was before they sinned. Work is not a consequence of sin. It's not a bad thing. But if we try to find our significance in those things, we're going to be corrected, try to be put back together by things that can't put us together, can't give us wholeness. The Bible is what can give us wholeness at the same time that it deconstructs everything about us that is not of Jesus. It puts together and corrects everything and gives us wholeness in everything that is Jesus. The Bible also addresses our need for guidance. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and then look, training in righteousness. What do I do now? Okay, uh, you know, I I understand my need for salvation. I'm going to give my life wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ, receiving His grace. I want to know what's right and what's wrong. I understand that when I go wrong, that that the Bible will correct me and, and, and I'll be put back together. And okay, now what? Training in righteousness, guidance. Shows us how to walk with God on a daily basis. Well, I don't know what to do. I mean, I don't know how to be a Christian. What's that look like? Read the Bible. Understand it. Step-by-step instructions for living. You want to know how to operate in every different situation life can throw at you? Two two places to go in the Bible. Um, If you just want simple, just here's where to start. Look in Proverbs. Look in the Gospels. You're going to see, here's how the Word of God is practically applied in Proverbs, and here's how the Word of God practically lives in Jesus. It's real simple. Those two places, man, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Go search. Don't be desperate. Go find it. It's in there. Guidance. You have a reliable guide from God Himself in the Scripture. And then finally, the Bible addresses our need for preparation. Paul wraps it up and he says, so that the man of God, he's talking about this pastor, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Prepared. What does God want me to do with my life? I don't have any idea. I'm 40 years old and sometimes I still think, God, what do you want to do with my life? I don't know. 
But I can tell you this, that if you're ever confused about what it is God wants you to do in your life, the only way that you can be prepared for whatever it is He puts in front of you next is to know and understand and obey and trust the Scripture. It's that simple. I think we make it way too difficult, by the way, because of our Americanized Christianity, way too difficult to find God's will for our lives. We make it, especially in Baptist churches, I think this is really bad, we do this. We talk about God's will for your life as if it is a needle in a haystack and so unique to you that only you can find it if you search long enough in that little haystack, that big haystack, for that small little needle. Do you know what God's will for your life is? It comes down to two things. Do you know where I find them? In Scripture, twice. Once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament. Does anybody know what Jesus responded to when the question came, what is it that God really wants me to do? What is God's will for my life? Do you know the answer? He said, first, love God with all you are. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's will for your life. Well, how do I know what to do? Read the Bible. Talk to godly people. Have them pray for you. But I mean, really, what's God's will for my Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. That ultimately will prepare you for anything that God has for you. Anything. If that's your foundation. The Bible gets us in shape, if you will, for whatever God has for us next. And if we will live by the Scripture, there is nothing that will be thrown at us that Scripture does not address and cannot lead us through. Timothy was facing a godless world, and we are too. Trying to put cabinets together with just pictures is difficult, which is why God gave us far more than just pictures, far more than just individual Bible stories that don't go together. He gave us his entire revelation. And not only that, but he came in Jesus, the living word of God to show us, here's how to live. Here's who I am. We live in a similar world as Timothy did. Godless, difficult for Christians. And so leaving here today, I have I've really just two hopes for you and, and for me. First, that we would surrender our lives completely to Jesus Christ. Scripture means nothing without that. You, you cannot live by the Scripture without having Jesus take over your life. It, 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 it's, it's meaningless. Lots of people try it. My first hope is that you and I would surrender. No strings attached. Surrender completely to Jesus Christ. And then secondly, my hope for us in 2018 is that we would read the Bible and not give up. Read the Bible and not give up. Continue to lean forward. Continue to press in. God, what is it, as I joke about it all the time, what is it you want to say in Leviticus? What has God said? What is God saying? And what adjustment do I need to make in response? That's how I read the Bible. God, what did you say? Lord, what are you saying? And how do I need to adjust accordingly? Read the Bible and don't give up. Those two hopes, that's what I have in this series, is that we will surrender completely to the one who is the story of the Bible and that we will continue to read the Bible and not give up. Let's pray together.